It is indeed a special time, and we're getting close to the Christmas season. And I want to just challenge you before we even get started. I know Christmas is a couple weeks away. I, I had the, um, I don't want to say the opportunity, but I was um, voluntold or maybe invited to go shopping yesterday in Amarillo. And I was like, oh, my lands. People are crazy out there. It's crazy. It's busy. And you can just see the impatience and just the, ah, the frustrations. I was walking around a store whistling and singing Joy to the World. I must have sang it a thousand times. But I found that it changed my attitude. I'm standing in line. I don't even care. Saw a bearded dragon, lizard. That was cool. So another person walking a dog. And we're just having a great time. I'm like, I need to get home and get in bed. Uh, but I was just having a great time there. And it, it all started with my attitude. I'm just joy to the world. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It changes everything. So can we start this morning a little early to get into the habit when you see somebody at a restaurant, when you see somebody out there working, they're tired and they're dealing with a lot of frustrated people, hopefully not a lot of living water people, but they're dealing with it, to say, hey, Merry Christmas. It's okay to say Merry Christmas. Can we say that this morning? Oh, it's so beautiful, isn't it? If you'll open with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, the title of the message this morning is God Has Not Forgotten. God has not forgotten as we get ready for the Christmas season. I think this is a great place for us to, to jump in today. So Luke chapter 1, I want to just jump right in, read the passage of Scripture, pray one more time, and then we will just uh, share uh, a few thoughts from the passage today. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Read with me, please. When Herod the king, or was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Some of your translations will say Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abiah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and the silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. 
How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. Uh, Lord, and I ask that in this moment today, as we get closer to the Christmas day and this Christmas season, that you would just tune our hearts to you and help us to just rediscover the awe and the wonder of what this means, the significance of this season. And so as we open the scriptures, we read from it today, my heart is that you would allow us to hear from you, God, that we would be encouraged uh, through your word today. And uh, Lord, we just trust you. God, I humble myself before you and I ask that you would just be glorified today. And I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start with a question. Have you ever felt forgotten? I ask that because the Christmas season is a season of giving, right? Giving and receiving of gifts. And, and chances are at some point in your life, you had these big hopes, you had these wishes, you wanted something, and you probably made that known. And Christmas comes and goes, and you're like, man, did they forget? Did they forget me? They knew what I wanted. They didn't do this. They, they forgot me. And I was raised this way, and I had a, a, a big taste, right, like an expensive taste. And, and to make matters worse, when I was a kid, they had these little books that came out every once in a while. You know, J.C. Penney used to put a catalog out. And at Christmas time, it was cool because it was all toys, this thick catalog of toys. And me and my sister would get this Sharpie out, and we'd start circling all the things that we want. The problem was the things that I wanted didn't match the budget that my mom and my dad had. And so there were many times that uh, those wants were over here, and they, they weren't fulfilled on Christmas morning. If that sounds familiar, uh, there's a movie that was very famous that kind of had that same plot. It's called A Christmas Story, 1983. Caught the tail end of it the other day, and you know the story, Ralphie. Ralphie wanted one thing. What was it? Red Ryder BB gun. I got to have it. He told everyone. He told mom. He told Santa Claus. He told his friends. He told his teacher. He wrote a report on it. And what did they keep telling him? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. But this whole movie is around this one little boy who had this big hope and this big want. And it was the Red Ryder BB gun. And then the, the movie goes on and the day is here. It's Christmas. And they start unwrapping all the gifts. You remember that goofy bunny suit that they had to wear that the aunt made them? They open all these gifts, and then all the gifts were open, and the, the scene, the next scene opens up with Dad and Ralphie and Mom all sitting on the couch. And Ralphie looks a little disappointed. He's trying to have a nice attitude, but his dad says, Good Christmas, huh? Yeah, it's good. Did you get everything you wanted? Yeah, mostly. He, he didn't get what he wanted, right? And there's that one moment that I think all of us go, Oh, this is so cool. Dad goes, Hey, what, what is that? What is that over there behind that, that whatever it was, dresser? And Ralphie's looking like excited, and he gets up, and he goes over there, and he pulls out this box, and it was the Red Rider BB gun that he had dreamed on. For a moment, he thought he had been forgotten, but we know that he was not. We'll go into the rest of the story, shoots, and he almost shot his eye out, you know, that's what he said. How about you? Have you ever been in a moment like that? You ever felt like you were forgotten? Maybe not Christmas time, but maybe just in life. You got these dreams, you got these hopes, you're like, I just... I'm praying that God will bring me the spouse of my dreams. You know, you're single and you're like, it's never going to happen for me. And you're hoping and you're hoping and you're, you're praying. Or maybe it is children. And I've walked through life several times with families that have just wanted so badly to have children. And it didn't happen for them for whatever reason. And, and, and so we understand this, this tension and sometimes the pain and the frustration of feeling like, man, God, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. Have you forgotten me? Or maybe you're praying for a loved one. You get this loved one that doesn't know the Lord, and you're like, man, I've been praying faithfully for years. And I think that this is something that God's cool with, pray for them to find Jesus, and, and it just doesn't seem like it's happening. It could lead us to get to the point where we say, God, where are you at? God, have you forgotten me? 
it can almost lead us to kind of a hopeless situation. And, and as you unfold the scripture here, this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a beautiful story because there's a lot going on in this chapter that I think that we lose because we're so familiar with the story. But as you were here last week and we talked about this 400 years of silence, there was 400 years of no word from God. And all of a sudden, Zechariah is doing what Zechariah does as a priest. He's in the temple offering the altar of incense, and the angel appears with news that almost sounds too good to be true. For years, they had prayed for son, and it just wasn't happening for them. And they might have felt like, you know, God has just overlooked us on this. God has forgotten us. And so I find encouragement in this scripture, and I think it's a great reminder for each one of us to remember that God has not forgotten. God has a plan, and God will see that plan through. Amen? And so God has not forgotten. So this profound narrative of Zechariah and Elizabeth echoes this timeless theme, God has not forgotten. Despite their long-standing barrenness and the weight of unfulfilled prayers, this passage beautifully unfolds the divine faithfulness and the surprising ways in which God remembers his promise, bringing forth hope in the midst of apparent silence. And so the context, as I said a moment ago, there was 400 years between the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, and if you were here last week, we talked about that. The sermon was, was empty worship, and God, through the prophet Malachi, was letting them have it. He was like, man, you guys are just going through the motions. You're just playing games, and I, I really wish that someone would just get up and close the doors to the temple so that you could not offer these useless sacrifices before me. Uh, the nation was in great need and anticipation of the Messiah, that one day he would come, but Honestly, they were just going through the motions, and that's where we leave off in the Old Testament. So you got 400 years of just going through the motions, 400 years of hoping, waiting for the Messiah. In fact, the same prophet, uh, Malachi, had prophesied that one day a forerunner would come, chapter 3, verse 1 in Malachi. And later he said, I'll send Elijah. That's chapter 4, verse 5. And later in John, chapter 11, Jesus himself said, about John the Baptist, this is who Malachi was talking about. And so there's this great hope for the nation Israel. There was great hope for Zechariah and Elizabeth that they would just have a child. So there's a lot just of tension right here in this moment. And so what we see is this moment where the silence that had been for 400 years was broken with this visit of the angel. So we're first introduced to this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. By the way, uh, Zechariah's name means Yahweh has remembered. I think it's a fitting name. Yahweh has remembered. Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says, were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They were upright people. And that's refreshing in this day and time because a lot of people were just going through the motions and here we find this pious couple who are loving God, and they're careful to obey all of his commands and regulations. But they had a problem. Verse 7 says they had no children. Why? Because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. And this is not the only time that we've seen this story. It's almost like a parallel of Abraham and Sarah, same problem. And a couple other moms had the same problem. They were well up in years, not able to conceive, and we know that and God does the impossible for them as he gives them a child in their old age. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, great people, but the problem was they had no child, which was one of their greatest desires. In fact, she would later say, my disgrace of having no children, it's gone. He's taken it away because he's given me this son. In their culture, a woman's value was greatly hinged upon how many children they had or if they had any children at all. 
And so for a woman to not have any children in ancient Israel was kind of a, you know, people were like, what do they do wrong that God would punish them by not giving them children? Because see, children were a gift from God and a blessing from God. And obviously God's blessing's not on you because you don't have children. So it was a heavy weight that they carried in ancient Israel. And so that's their, their problem. And so the encounter, and, and I can't, I can't stress this enough of how significant and how important this day is. So it's one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. Um, the research showed me that there were like 24 different divisions in the priests. And each one of those divisions had like hundreds, maybe even up to a thousand priests in each division. And so they would rotate their turn in the temple, doing all the duties in the temple. And so it was very likely that Zechariah would get one chance in his entire life to be inside the holy place doing what he's about to do when the lots were cast and it was his turn to go light the altar of incense. So he's in there um, as he was chosen by lots into the sanctuary of the Lord to burn the incense. And it says, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. See, the incense, as the smoke went up, it was symbolic of the prayers of the people going up before God. The repentance, the prayers, the petitions. And so it was in that context. By the way, there's a curtain behind uh, the altar of incense that separated the holy of holies. That's the place where God dwelt. And so Zechariah is in a holy place, but he's not beyond the veil. He's very, very close to it. And he's offering these incense. And in verse 11 it says, While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing to the right of the incense altar, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. I want to stop there for a moment because this is huge. Think about it, 400 years of no word, no messengers, nothing, zilch, nada from God. And that silence is broken with an angel appearing to Zechariah in the holy place of the temple. I would add that Luke is the only one that goes back this far. I mean, John says in the beginning was the word, the word's with God, and the word was God. That's kind of the origins of Jesus. But Matthew, Mark, they don't really cover this announcement from the angel. So this is special that Luke would include this, a beautiful, beautiful picture that God had not forgotten Israel. Not only did God not forget Israel, but he hadn't forgotten Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so in this context, this angel shows up. This is huge. And his announcement is this. You're going to have a son. God's heard your prayer. How many times have they prayed? I don't know. Probably a lot. And he says, God has heard your prayer, and he's going to give you a son. Really? We're too old now. We're too tired. I mean, that would be my response. Oh, by the way, we're empty nesters officially, finally, for the first time in 27 years. It's awesome. Anyways. I could only imagine an old age starting over. I'm like, no. Anyway, so they were given this announcement. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. In addition to his name, John, the angel goes on to tell him what the characteristics of this young man will be. He says, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. That's a Nazarene vow. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. This is almost verbatim what Malachi said 400 years earlier when prophesying about this moment, this man, John the Baptist. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom 
of the godly. So this angel shows up in this hopeless situation with this over-the-top announcement that God has heard your prayer, Zechariah, and he's going to give you what you've wanted forever. He's going to give you a son. You're going to name him John, and he's going to be awesome. In fact, Jesus later, speaking about John the Baptist, said no one has ever lived or ever lived, will live that is greater than John the Baptist. This was a pretty big moment for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Wouldn't you agree? So the question is, how do you respond to an angelic message like that? How do you respond after 400 years of no word from God, you got an angel sitting in front of you giving you this message. After you pick your jaw up off the floor, how do you respond to that? Not this way. <laughs> Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? One of the other commentators had put it this way. It's like he was saying, you expect me to believe that? That's a cool message, but man, that ship has sailed. We're old. Look at my wife. She's old, right? It's, it's too late for that. You expect me to believe that? How can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. We're tired. That's what I would put if I was writing that. Verse 19, the angel said, I love this, because I think, I just kind of put myself in the story, and I'm like, if I'm Gabriel, I'm like, dude, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was he who told me to give you the message, you moron. That's what I would have said. But it's like, I'm Gabriel. I'm not just an angel. I'm one of the two that's mentioned. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who told me to come and give you this message. And so this epic announcement that breaks the silence of 400 years that the hope is on the horizon. Zechariah and Elizabeth were finally going to have a son. And the Messiah, he was the forerunner. The Messiah was coming. All of this that they'd hoped in was right there. And in that moment, Zechariah responds with unbelief. And so the angel says, but now since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. That's nine months. Women, how many know that would probably be a nice refreshing thing to have nine months of silence from your husband? Don't go there. I heard that Jody. I heard Jody say that. No, it's your, okay, it's her. All right. So, sorry, Jody. Accused you of wrong. So, Unable to speak for nine months until the child is born. Listen to what he says. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Here's the thing that we need to know. God's got a timeline. God has a plan. You may not know the plan, all the details of the plan. You may not know the timing of the plan. But you can be absolutely assured that God knows and God is perfectly in time with his plan. In fact, Galatians 4, 4 says when the time was right, or in the process of time, when the time was just right, God sent his son, born of a virgin. And so God's timeline, he's like, I've got it all figured out. There's 400 years. Next, we're going to open up this chapter, the New Testament, with this forerunner for my son, Jesus. And so he says, the angel says, my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And so his response the rebuke, the rebuke was not able to speak for nine months. And it was a very public rebuke, if you think about it. Zechariah, who was once talking before he goes into the temple, is now not able to speak. When people speak to him, he opens his mouth and nothing comes out. It was the very instrument that he used to speak his unbelief was the rebuke. Like, okay, you used your mouth to say you didn't believe. I'm going to use your mouth. I'm going to shut your mouth up where you can't speak. And so it was a very public rebuke. Everyone would know something happened. Something happened there. 
And so it says in verse 21, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. Here's a, here's a note. They would go in to do their duty at, altering, uh, at the altar of incense, and they didn't want to linger there long. And the reason was because as a priest, they were fearful that they might misstep or do something wrong, even accidentally, and it would cost them their life because God's just on the other side of the veil, the Holy of Holies. In fact, the priests would wear bells around the hem of their garment so that when they would go in, the people can be assured that they're accepted before God and they're still doing their duties, right? As long as the bells are ringing, everything's good. And so a priest would go in and he would do his work and he would get out quickly. So it says when he didn't come out for a long time, they were wondering what was taking him so long. Well, he was having a heavenly encounter. It says when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then he realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. It says that whenever his week of service was over, he goes home, and soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth, this old lady, this impossible situation, became pregnant. She went into seclusion for five months. Why? Probably because that was like a freak show. Like, dude, did you hear about this? She's pregnant. She's old. Come check it out. So she goes into seclusion for five months. But her response was, how kind the Lord is to me, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. I want to fast forward. I didn't do this in the first service, but uh, this is interesting Whenever the child was born, it was common for them to name the child after the father. And so everybody was like, you need to name the kid Zechariah, like his dad. No, no, no. His name will be John. Um, and so John, you know, the dad's not able to, to speak. And so when he motioned for a writing tablet to give it to him, and, and he writes the name, his name is John. It says, instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. You think? Praising God because of his answered and so you read this story, you're like, man, why is it included in the New Testament? What can we glean from it? How is it relevant to us? And I just want to throw out four suggestions, four things that I think that we can learn from or glean from, four observations. Number one, even strong believers will sometimes stumble in disbelief. That's so true. So Zechariah was a strong believer. He was faithful to God. He was a very pious Jew, he and his wife both, but even they stumbled. He stumbled in a moment of unbelief. I think we've all been there at some point in life. Like, man, faith is strong. I know who I believe in. I know I've got all this figured out, but there are moments in my life when I just struggle to believe. It reminds me of the New Testament passage where the, the man says, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. The reality is, is we can be strong in the faith, but we can also deal with from time to time these moments of stumbling in our unbelief. And I would say that I would give myself a little bit of grace because some great, great people struggle with the same thing. Amen? So realize that we will struggle from time to time in disbelief. But here's something I would add to that that would remind us of. Even though they struggled in their unbelief, Zechariah did, and they prayed forever for a child and it didn't come, they remained faithful to God. They remain faithful in their piety with God, careful to obey all of his commandments and his regulations. And so that would be a reminder to you and me as well is sometimes when we struggle in unbelief to hold on to our faithfulness to God. Secondly, I would say long delays may cause us to doubt that our prayers will ever be answered. Sometimes you pray for something. They prayed obviously for years. I'm sure they did. It doesn't tell us, but you can be assured that because of that culture, they were always praying that they would have a son and sometimes those delayed prayers, uh, they're not denials. They're just delayed. Again, we don't know God's timeline. We don't know God's plan. But those delays sometimes can cause us to doubt in our prayers if they'll ever be answered. And for some, they'll just say, why even bother? I'll just quit praying for that. 
because it'll never happen. Can I encourage you to keep on praying? Can I encourage you to just keep seeking God? The Bible says to ask, seek, and knock. Keep on asking. That's the idea. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Then we are to continually seek his face. Don't give up. Pray, pray, pray. I heard someone say one time, what if you stop here and it was just like next week? You're right around the corner from the answer to that prayer. We continue praying. Don't get discouraged when things that you're praying for don't come um, soon or don't get answered in their in what you expect to be in your timeline. Here's an encouraging one too. Is uh, a third one would be man's unbelief will not cancel God's plans. God has a plan, and He's sovereign. He's in control of that plan, and man can't thwart that. Man's unbelief in this moment, Zechariah couldn't thwart that, and so it's encouraging to me that God's plans are not so fragile that it depends upon our ability to stay faithful through everything and believe in all circumstances. So man's unbelief will not cancel God's plans. Aren't you grateful for that? Because as you see, his unbelief, his unbelief of, you know, we're old, we can't do this, God still gave them uh, a son. God didn't cancel his plans because Zechariah had a moment of unbelief. God's plan was going forward, and this is the forerunner that's going to lead the way for Jesus, the Messiah, the first advent, God in the flesh coming to the world. So man's unbelief does not cancel God's plans. And lastly, I'd say this, and, and, and this is a sad thing, but our unbelief, I think, sometimes can rob us of the joy of believing God for the impossible. When we linger in that unbelief, I think it can rob us of joy. That's one thing that we need in our, our world today, right? In the churches, is joy. Joy what? Joy for what? Joy that we serve a God and we trust a God of the impossible. How many know that the God that we worship is the God of the impossible? Some said there's no way that the children of Israel could go through the Red Sea on dry ground. Mm-hmm. God's the God of impossible. He made it happen. There's no way that a donkey can talk. Mm-hmm. God made it happen. He's the God of impossible. There's no way that a virgin can consider. That's why we celebrate Christmas, right? We serve a God of the impossible. So our belief sometimes can rob us of the joy of believing that God can do the impossible things. And I wonder sometimes if we quit dreaming and we quit expecting, quit expecting big things because, you know, like, ah, that's just too big. There's nothing too big for God. Amen? And so you're praying for that loved one. And you're like, you're not seeing any hope. You're not seeing a turn of a corner. You're like, man, will they ever, ever respond to the gospel. I've been pouring my guts out to God regularly, praying and praying on their behalf, and nothing's happening. And, and we can lose our joy sometimes because it's not happening on our timeline. I would say keep trusting, keep hoping, and keep being joyful in all situations, what the New Testament tells us. Amen? So this event in Scripture underscores God's unwavering faithfulness. How many would agree that God's faithful? He is. He's fa- Whether you believe it or not, He's faithful. He's faithful to do everything that he promised that he would do. He's faithful in fulfilling his promises, even when the circumstances seem impossible or delayed. Despite years of unanswered prayers, God remembered Zechariah and Elizabeth. He gave them hope. He would give the children of Israel hope because for 400 years they longed for the Messiah. They knew the prophecies about the Messiah. Do you know that two of the prophecies in Malachi were fulfilled in this story that we read today in the birth of John the Baptist? God is faithful to fulfill his promises. 
And you and I can know this, that God never changes. The Bible says he's no respecter of persons. That means he doesn't love you and me more than um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. He doesn't love them more than he loves us. He is no respecter of persons. That's good news, right? So the same God that they're trusting in and believing in, we're believing in and we're trusting. To the same God that they prayed to, we're praying to, we're hoping in. And I just need to remind you that God hasn't forgotten. God has not forgotten. Now, we may not understand his plans or his timeline, but just rest assured, God has not forgotten. My Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news, isn't it? You know what that means? Whosoever. That he extends his gospel, his salvation to whoever would believe in him, turn to him for salvation. That is good news. So this Christmas season, as we consider what it's all about. Let us not become just complacent or apathetic or just unmoved by the, the awe and the wonder of this moment. Because I can promise you, back up the clock 2,000 years, and it was a pretty big deal, the advent of Christ. And so as we celebrate this Christmas season, let it serve as a reminder that God is still faithful. He's still faithful. He's not abdicated his throne. He's still in charge, and he does not change. Amen? Worthy of praise, worthy of honor, worthy of respect. Father, we, we thank you for that truth that you never fail. Lord, we are unfaithful, but you're always faithful. But we don't see the big picture. We don't get the plan. Sometimes we want the roadmap, turn by turn, navigation, directions, and God, you choose not to give it to us um, at, at times. And, and Lord, for us, it's to just trust you, to trust you, to completely follow you and obey you and to stay true to you and to keep praying, to keep asking, knowing, God, that you have not forgotten us. I thank you, God, that you don't forget. We struggle with that. We forget how awesome you are, how important it is to acknowledge you in all parts of our lives. But Lord, you're faithful. You never forget. And let that just be cemented in our hearts and our minds this Christmas season as we Look, just like they did 2,000 years ago, hopeful in anticipation of the arrival of the Messiah, we too wait with a great expectation of the second advent of Jesus. And Lord, we look with this great hope, knowing, Lord, that it will happen. It's not a matter of if, it's when, and we know that because you said it, that you declared it, it's going to happen. And we know that you have not forgotten us, and so we trust, we hope in you. Lord, we just keep on keeping on. And God, we keep asking. And Father, I ask that you would just help us in the moments of unbelief to keep on trusting you for your glory. Lord, you're worthy of it all. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.